Hello, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Malted Muse podcast. It seems that my life at the moment is full of small apologies, and I have got two apologies to make already this week on this podcast. First one, again, has to be related to the audio quality. I'm still having to record things in a in a mobile format, so the audio quality is low. Do forgive me for that. Another thing I have to apologise is for the fact that some people will have had problems downloading last week's episode. I do really apologise for that. There's not an awful lot I could do about it. Um, But then again, there's a part of me that is so pleased that it's happened. I know that may sound strange. The reason for it is that so many people tried to download last week's episode that it pushed me beyond my bandwidth limit. In other words, the podcast just became too popular that demand outstripped supply. Now, obviously, if you're listening to this, supply has been re-established. I'm going to have to try to do something about that. There are some technical things I can do that will um, restrict the amount of memory that's used per episode, and I thank Bill Ricker for advice on that. The other thing I can do is to make the episodes less frequent, although I have to say the words weekly whiskey podcast just somehow seem to sound right. And of course, the other thing I can do is to seriously look at accepting sponsorship or funding. Um, And that's where you can come into it by making donations to the podcast to keep it going. But anyway... Enough about that. A few episodes ago, I mentioned how um, St. the Jameson's Distillery in Dublin was going to be hosting um, a St. Patrick's Day event where local radio stations can go and broadcast from the old distillery. Bushmills have leaked out that they're going to be doing something similar. Bushmills have announced that they are going to be hosting the first live music festival to be held at an Irish whiskey distillery. I can't give much more detail than that at the moment. Um, Not that the bands that have been signed up haven't all been released. So my advice to you on that is simple. Visit the Bushmills website Sign up there for more information. Keep yourself informed. I believe that at the moment anyway is invitation only and the way to get an invite is to enter a competition and again visit their website for more information on that. In a previous episode I mentioned an interview that I'd had that was embargoed. I couldn't tell people about it. Well, I'm very happy to say that I can leak out part of that interview now, and I hope to leak out another part of it at a later date. The interview was with Dominic Rosgrow. I interviewed him over the phone at the turn of the year, and he had some exciting news about what was going on with the W Club. 
Now, I'm going to let him tell you about this. But listen to the man's voice as well. Listen to the passion and the excitement that's in his voice as he talks about it. Because for me, I personally think that's the best advert that there is for this, this project that he's involved with and for whiskey itself in many ways. So let's listen to what Dominic has got to say. He did. I spoke to him very recently and he did say that if I wanted to... Um, he would give me an update and some of the more finer details of that. But I've not taken him up on that offer. I think he's given off enough information and enthusiasm with that interview. And to be honest, if you want to know more, then visit the W Club. It's linked in with the Whiskey Shop website in a way. Now I say in a way because I don't actually believe that you can join the W Club through the Whiskey Shop website. You can take advantage of offers from the W Club in the Whiskey Shop website, I believe, but I'm not too sure it works so much the other way, and I find that interesting. Now, Dominic did say to me that that has been done on purpose. It's to do with keeping it exclusive, keeping it for the whiskey lover, the reputation of it, the the awareness of it, is passed down by word of mouth. It's those who are in the know who know about it. And I can understand that. I think it's quite a brave move, but I can understand it. So here am I, letting you lot, if you don't know already, the info on it, so that you can be in the know and I have to be honest it sounds really good so if you want to know more information about the W Club visit their website thewclub.co.uk here's Dominic Dominic it is so nice to talk to you again um, we've got a new year coming up and I've, I've heard through the grapevine with new years new things start to happen and the new things are beginning to happen to you i just wonder whether you could tell me and, and the listeners a bit about that yes happy new year to you yeah um well actually it's going to be a big year for me anyway because i've got two books coming out i've got the uh, thousand and one whiskies book which i, I spent forever on. <laughs> it seems to have gone on forever and one of my friends kindly bought me a thousand and one albums to listen to before you die and I thought the last thing I can possibly do is read a book about a thousand and one anything, uh, because I just that's all I did for three months last year. So, that, but that's all done now, and that's coming out in March. And then Gavin Smith and myself have got a book, a big book coming out in October, uh, Whiskey Opus, and it's it's shaping up to be excellent. So, so right on a personal level, it's all uh, quite exciting. Well, just on, just if I can interrupt then. So, a thousand and one whiskeys. Where can people get hold of that? Who, uh, who's it's, the publisher? It's published by Quintessence. They've done 25 1001 books. Uh, they pretty much throw out two a year. And what they do is they, they, they ask an, a general editor to employ uh, 25, 30, 40 writers, which is what I did. Um, and they go out through Smiths and Waterstones. And they're, they're meant to cost 20-something pounds, but they're always discounted. Uh, I've just been into Waterstones in Norwich, and they've got a display of 15 or 20 of the 25 books already published out as a display so they're widely available worldwide um um big in america uh, so, so lots of lots of uh, uh, outlets and um and they t tend to discount and they'll be through amazon and everything else but it's an amazing book because i, I can say this without sounding arrogant 
I spent most of my last two months reading other people's contributions. All I did was, I, I, I wrote about 150, maybe 200 of the 1,001, but uh, all the rest were written by the people. And, you know, Darwin, uh, the Kakomo, or whatever he's called, I can't never pronounce his name, in Canada, his, his chapter is absolutely brilliant. Um, uh, the Irish section by um, uh, Peter Mulryan is fantastic. The American section written by Lou Bryson and Jason Pyle and Chuck Cowdery, the three best writers in America, the American section. I, I mean, I thought I knew American whiskey, and I'm reading this stuff, and I have been the last two or three days because I've just done the American section final edits. And I'm reading stuff and thinking, I just don't know this. This is brilliant. And 960 pages of solid whiskey information. Um, and, you know, I, I can honestly say I've done nothing for 10 years but read whiskey books and, and write about whiskey, and I've learned masses. So it's an incredible book. Um, uh, and it'll be everywhere. But, but I, uh, it's not because my name's on it. It really isn't. It's because there's lots of writers. You know, I've got um, Ingvar Ronders on there, Marchin Miller's in there. Um, uh, oh, there's just a, I've brought in a load of bloggers, uh, people who I met through Twitter, and um, I've got them to write stuff. And not maybe very much, but these are fresh young people who've never been, they've never been published before. So the book is new and fresh and vibrant. Just excellent. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, this isn't the only thing that's happening. No. Um, the other major thing for me, and uh, it's uh, very, very hot off the press, um, is that uh, I, when I went freelance five years ago, I, I took a, a title, Business Development Director for the Whiskey Shop, which was very grandiose. What it meant was that um, I did a few tastings locally in Norwich and um, then stood in the, shop, the whiskey shop when the manager was off. Um, but the title has actually become much more relevant now because I've, I've actually stopped working in the shop. I'm no longer uh, uh, doing anything for the whiskey shop per se, but what I am doing is work, writing for the, the company or working for the company, which is Glen Kier. And we're launching uh, a major project. The whiskey shop's in a very, very good place. Um, they've got about 18 outlets, but the big, the big thing is that what we're doing is we're launching a new website on February the 6th. And it will be uh, the launch of a site that will promote what we're calling the W Club. Uh, the Whiskey Shop logo is a W in a circle. So the club will be called the Whiskey or the W Club. And it will replace our existing club, which is the Glen Care Club. And the website is going to be absolutely amazing. It's going to have, uh, you can access it um, uh, without paying. You can go on it for free, obviously. Um, but there are four levels that you can access it. The first one is just looking at it and reading uh, information on glossary of terms and how to make whiskey and then anything that's on the front page, which will include my tweets and blogs, will include uh, Ask Dominic a Question, there'll be surveys and the opinion poll sort of things, news, uh, all that sort of thing. The second level is you put your, your contact details in and you access for free other areas of the site and you can actually contribute and uh, respond to articles and that sort of thing. And then the third level will be the existing uh, Grand Care Club level, which is £12.50. And you get a welcome pack and you get a little miniature and a couple of books and uh, Jim Murray's Whiskey Bible and, and then a discount in the store, across the stores, uh, 10% on certain products. But it's the top level that's really, really exciting because for another £12.50, for, for, for not very much money, we're going to basically give you a VIP uh, membership, and it's going to give you 
access to everything on the site, which will be loads and loads of my material. All my feats, old features have been updated, and they'll all be on there. And there'll be um, any amount of information, glossaries, terms, tasting notes, loads and loads of stuff. And so I've, I've estimated it's about 400,000 words that I've written and updated over the five years that aren't copyrighted that will go on there. So it's, it's a big thing. But the killer bit is that what you get that you can't really get anywhere else. So there'll be, we're going to copy the Ardbeg committee idea. So the whiskey shop's doing more and more exclusives. So if you're a committee member, you'll, you'll, you'll get the chance to taste them three or four weeks before they go on general sale and give your views on them. Um, but also there'll be any number of uh, special bottlings. We'll go to companies and we'll do a, a single cast bottling just for VIP members. We'll probably do small quantity bottlings for people to taste things that they couldn't afford to taste. So, you know, hundreds, five, six hundred pound whiskies. We'll do little samples uh, so people can taste them. There'll be uh, the opportunity to get uh, uh, unique whiskies. We'll go to companies and say, you know, you've got that in a cask and it's a petered version of your whiskey and you've never sold it. Can we give samples of that to our members? We'll, we'll offer members all sorts of opportunities whiskey-wise they've never had. But we'll also be doing uh, things money can't buy. So basically there'll be competitions for experiences that you, you just can't get anywhere else. For instance, uh, we're offering uh, two people a chance to go to Japan to visit the Yamazaki distillery, all expenses paid. Wow. Um, we're looking at uh, going up to uh, Ben Riek and spending an afternoon with Billy Walker, choosing cast samples, tasting cast samples, choosing and bottling your own single malt with your own label, just for you. Uh, we're looking at taking people to distilleries that they can't go to because they're not open to the public, but they will be open for um, uh, for, for VIP members of the W Club. Um, I was talking to somebody, well, Marcia Miller, yesterday about the possibility. There's a house in uh, Rothes called Rothes House, and it's owned by uh, Glenn Rothes, and... Um, that distillery isn't open to the public, but uh, journalists often go and stay at this house and you self-cater in there, but it's luxury accommodation. And then you go up in the highlands and do shooting and uh, blind driving of a Land Rover and archery and all sorts of things. That trip will be available to people who win a competition to do it. I, I get invited to any number of events um, as a journalist, so competition winners will join me going to these events. So they'll go to special journalist-style events uh, as competition winners. Um, we're looking at doing things like, uh, you know, four people doing uh, golf at St. Andrews or Glen Eagles, then a private tasting with me and uh, the uh, bar manager, then a, a, a Michelin-style restaurant meal and accommodation overnight. And on we go. Uh, basically, we're going to the industry and saying, what can you offer us? You, I mean, uh, Ian Bank is the chairman of Celtic Football Club. So what about um, uh, 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 director's box tickets to a Champions League game? Um, all, all hospitality included. It doesn't even have to be whiskey related, but what we're doing is we're taking a lot of money that we... Whiskey Area, the magazine, actually makes a small profit because we have so much advertising in it. It makes a small profit. So actually, Whiskey Area, there is no uh, marketing budget at the bank here. So what we're saying is, let's use a marketing budget. Let's set aside an amount of money and put it into this resource and let's just give people an experience that... They just couldn't get anywhere else. It's going to be such a good offer. Can I, let me just get across here just for a moment. Yeah. Because you mentioned the Scaria magazine. Yeah. Just to sort of repeat a question I asked you earlier on. This is a magazine. I think it, it's possibly the UK's biggest whiskey magazine. It's probably the world's biggest whiskey magazine. But it's not one that immediately always comes to mind. How do people get hold of that? Well, it's through the shop. To be fair, 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good question, actually. The thing is that um, Wisteria has a circulation of, it was 30,000, it's actually being boosted, which is about to do a 20,000 run-on of our investment supplement because of demand. Um, but with the new shops, we're going to have to increase the circulation anyway. But it's 30,000 copies, 100,000 readership. So it's probably the biggest whiskey magazine in the world, but it's through the shops. It, it, it's got a cover price on it of 3.95 or something. But if you go into a whiskey shop of the chain, of the whiskey shop chain, you can pick up a copy for free, even if you don't make a purchase. I mean, if you walk in and say, can I have your magazine, please? I'll give you one. Actually, they put it in every bag you buy a whiskey. So if you buy a bottle of whiskey, um, you see, the, th the thing about being in the high street is uh, we hear all these miserable tales about how awful things are. The whiskey shop's thriving. We don't discount at Christmas. We did no offers at all, apart from a £5 voucher valid from Burns Day through February. The reason for that is we're all about personal service. We're about uh, uh, diversity and, 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 and range of products. And we know that you can get whiskey cheap in the supermarket on certain products, but you won't get the choice. And what we offer is a staff that can... can uh, take you through the journey of whiskey and the magazine's all about that it's an entry level magazine everything I do marries to the whiskey shop because I've always been very good I'm not the greatest journalist I'm not the greatest whiskey taster but what I am is very very good at talking in very very basic terms to people and making them understand what they are and um, I um, sorry my <laughs> um, and, and, and the magazine you go into the whiskey shop pick up a copy it's a 64 page magazine it's beautifully produced by Archant in Norwich. We invest heavily in it. Uh, it has more advertising than uh, any other whiskey magazine can get because the industry supports it. And it's a, but it's a contract title. The point is, it's to sell product for the whiskey shop. Let's not beat around the bush. It's not totally independent. But as we represent pretty much every whiskey company, that gives me the freedom to write just good stories. It's a very, very positive, well-produced and exciting-looking magazine. It's really worth putting picking up it, it, it it's you know won awards for what it is and, and i'm very very proud to be part of it because it, it, we've grown it it's, since i went freelance and got involved with the whiskey shop we took it from an eight page newsletter to 64 page full-on well-written well-produced magazine it's it's it, it, it's a it, you know i'm very very proud of it yeah and is it possible i mean you say that if somebody buys that uh, a product from the whiskey shop, they get the magazine. If you go into the whiskey shop, you get you can ask for a copy of the magazine. If you lived somewhere away, you want to be sure. Is it possible to, to subscribe to the magazine? Not subscribe to it. No, there, there's an online version of it. Uh, you can you can access it online, but that's a very good question because I, I I tweet across the world, and most of my living now is based on world whiskey rather than domestic whiskey. So the whiskey shop is my last link to Scotland, really, because, you know, most of what I do now is, is, is world-focused. Now, I have people all over the world say, you know, how can we get this? You can access it online, but that's really the thinking behind the website. The website is obviously designed to drive people into the shops, yes, but you can, if you take up a membership, you will be sent a copy. So there's nothing to stop you getting sent a, uh, you, 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 If you're a club member, you will get sent Whiskeria. We're also going up an issue. We only do two issues of Whiskeria a year. We're going up to three. Uh, plus, the, we're doing the run-on of the investment supplements, effectively four um, this year, because because things are going so well for us. And um, but if you sign up to be a, a, a W Club member at, at a basic rate of twelve fifty a year, which you get a pack worth well over that anyway, you will get sent uh, a whiskey uh, as part of your your deal. So actually, I, mean, I don't want to sound like too much like a salesman. If you sign up for that club, 
you're actually saving more money than it would be to go out and buy the magazine anyhow, yeah. and you get it sent to you. Yeah, well, we don't, we, we've never sold it. I, I, I'm going to be totally honest about this. We put a cover price on it because we want our customers to realise that actually, in addition to, okay, you may pay slightly more for some whiskey in the whiskey shop because we have to make a high street margin. But in return for that, you get all the service, all the support, uh, you get uh, all, all the extras that the whiskey shop offers, and you get a magazine, and it says on it it's, it's worth three ninety five. So, so it's adding value to your purchase. We've never sold a copy. We've never taken three ninety five over the till for that magazine, but it's a beautifully produced magazine. And if you look at it uh, and see what you get, yeah. you wouldn't argue with that cover price. Um, but yes, to answer your question, is in basic terms, uh, the, the pack you get when you join for the, your, your your membership already includes a whiskey bible. A little book written by myself and Ian Bank a, a few years ago about how to, it's called uh, uh, The Road to Whiskey. It's basically a book to how to buy whiskey, a little guideline to how you, where you might go next if you make a purchase. And then you get a miniature worth £8. It's an a, a old and rare miniature from Douglas Lang, and it's worth 7 or £8. And you add up the value of the pack. It's already worth more than your membership, but then you add all the magazines in. It's, you get twice as much back for your money as you join. That's without even talking about the VIP stuff we've been discussing, you know, in this call. Marvellous. That's marvellous. Many years ago, and oh, gosh, I do mean many years ago, I was a student nurse. And I had to do a drug assessment. I had to pass my drug exam. And I was ever so worried that I would forget the names of the drugs. So... I gave them other names as little memory joggers. We used to use a drug called Largactyl. I called it Larigactyl. It could give side effects, and one of the drugs you'd give to counter those side effects was Orphenadrine, who I called Orphan Anidrin. Obviously not to patients and not to the pharmacy, but it is a little cue for me to remember it. Haloperidol was Harry Peridol. And there was another one, Melerol, otherwise known as Thoradazine. Now, I used to refer to that one as simply Thor, Thoradazine. Now, <clears throat> it is a good way of remembering it, but not really its usage, because Thoradazine was a tranquilizer, one of the more hefty tranquilizers of its day, and there isn't much tranquil about Thor. Thor is the god of thunder. The Viking, the Norse god. Long flowing hair, big bulging muscles, full of energy and might. The inspiration of comic book strips, of films, of music, of legend itself. Mighty, powerful, brave, adventurous but also caring and protective. A protective warrior in many ways. Strong and full of character. Do you know, it sounds like it would be the good subject that could inspire a whiskey. And of course it has done. It's become part, the first part, of a series of whiskies from Highland Park and it seemed a good idea for me to talk to someone from Highland Park about it. Well thank you ever so much for, for 
agreeing to talk to me. Um, you, Highland Park's got a new release out, but before we talk about that, just for people who, who perhaps don't know much about Highland Park, can yeah. you tell me a little bit about the history of Highland Park? Because I, I feel that Highland Park is one of these whiskies that's got a good character to it, but its history also contains a good character. I'm thinking right back to it, the, the foundations of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think character is a great word to use, actually. I think when you talk about Highland Park and uh, the origins of the distillery and how it came about, um, you know, character is one of the words you would certainly be using. Magnus Junsen, who is certainly a character in uh, the history of the distillery, was not only a illicit distiller, if you like, um, but was also uh, a man of uh, pleasure. He was also a beadle, um, who was a chap that would help people sit down in, uh, in church ceremonies at the start and sometimes hold it. Uh, and, and this was a guy who was like almost like a perfect, perfect guy during the day. And uh, a little bit like Batman at night, he was quite an elusive character. Um, and he would run around the island doing great things during the day and obviously avoid engagers and stuff at night. So um, it was a bit of a, a bit of a chap, it would seem. More uh, more pies and fingers is a, is a good way to describe someone like Magnus Junsen, who started the distillery, I suppose. Um, and moving on from there, you, you've really got to talk about the character of Orkney um, and, and, you know, how the weather affects uh, life on Orkney and even just the landscape, the way it looks. How um, how a distillery exists up there uh, is is bizarre in the first place. You know, obviously the the, the logistics of getting casks and everything up to the island um, can be quite difficult in, in winter time and stuff. So, you know, sorry, but we're talking about the location. For those who don't know, um, yeah. I believe is the most northerly distillery. Yes, it in, is in yeah, the UK. Yeah. We're talking about in rough weather. Um, and exactly. you, you can say things like, um, you know, it's hard to imagine how a distillery could actually get started up there. Listening to the way yeah. people talk about the weather up there, there's a part of me that wonders how easy would it be to actually survive up there as a human being without a distillery up there? <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good way of looking at it, yeah, I suppose. But when you, when you think about who actually settled there originally, you know, you go right back to the Neolithic era, and then you've got Vikings coming in, and uh, and really, you know, Magnus Junsen clearly is not a Scottish name. You wonder what it is that attracted them to this particular island. Um, and it's really just the location. Strategically, you know, between the North Sea and the Atlantic, it's absolutely ideal. It's a real gateway to um, to Europe, and then obviously with Life Ericsson going over to America. Mm-hmm. But the weather really was important. You know, there's no trees on the island. Um, no, there wasn't any trees in the island sort of three to nine thousand years ago, really. Um, and when you think about how that affects the product in the end, well, we use peat from the ground, which doesn't contain any wood. So when you talk about whiskey, you talk about the type of flavour that would be carried through into the whiskey. Um, our peat's quite aromatic and light. You know, if you go over to Isla, you know, the same time ago, six thousand years ago, it was covered in trees, so the peat's quite pungent and it's not as light. So, you know, a lot of people think, oh, how can the weather really affect a whiskey? Well, actually, because the winds are so strong in Orkney, we don't have trees. Mm. Winds aren't so strong on Isla, and they do have trees. <laughs> the peat that's carried through every process after the malting, you know, it has actually it has been massively affected by wind, believe it or not, which is quite interesting. 
You mentioned briefly there Vikings, though, didn't you? Yes, yes. Um, I mean, I find that quite interesting. I find it interesting that an awful lot of people uh, associate um, a Celtic heritage to whiskey. And, yes. you know, even people in America, for example, will, will toast a glass of whiskey with the word slage at the end of it, which, of course, yes. is, you know, Celtic in its origins. But is that the case at Highland Park? Well, not really, no. Um, I, as I mentioned, your Magnus Jensen really was the founder of of the High Park, which was the hill that he would uh, sort of run his little stills. Um, the the way that we usually sign stuff off is actually skull, um, because we don't have that Celtic heritage. Really, we've been you know Orkney as an island has been ruled for longer by Vikings than it has under under the British rule. So you know we can't. Um, we, I mean, there is an element, a very small element of Celtic sort of heritage, but actually. The overriding heritage is actually Viking and mm. Nordic, um, possibly from uh, Denmark or Norway. Norway is not far away. Uh, we're 282 miles away from Edinburgh, which is our capital. I believe we're a lot closer. I think we're about 180 miles away from Bergen. So uh, quite a lot of influence uh, from that area of the world, on Orkney especially. So. Sure, sure. And how, how do you feel that the distilleries developed since it, its origins, its foundation, up to this, this modern day? Has it remained constant? Has it, has it changed as time's gone by? Has it met any particular unique challenges, other than the weather, of course? Yeah, the weather is a difficult one. Um, you could argue that barley um, is quite a difficult one as well. Um, you know, growing barley, when it's as windy as it is up there, it, barley grows quite tall. And that, that can be quite a difficult thing to keep going. So um, we have actually restarted a, a trial with barley using tartan, which grows just a little bit shorter than um, the other varieties that we've been using. And that's quite interesting because it is a little bit lower. Um, it actually grows quite well on the island. So now we're, we're producing a decent amount of barley on Orkney that we can use in our whiskies. The rest of it will come from Berwick, from Simpsons. Um, and we'll ship that up around the coast. So that, that's one part that has actually maybe changed more recently. Well, we moved away from producing the barley on Orkney and now we've come back to, to see if we can get that going again. And it's actually working really well. Um, and I guess you could argue that casks as well would have changed. We've done quite a lot of uh, research recently into the history of, you know, what was the sort of thing that would have happened on Orkney around the time that Magnus Junsen was, you know, running his stills. And one of the things that was quite interesting was how much gin, or Holland as they called it, was getting taken up to this area around Hyde Park from Dutch loggers. Um, and, you know, so the, the things like the wood, the barrels and things that would have been used back then, obviously would never have been that consistent. Um, but these days, you know, the casks that we use now are extremely consistent. You know, we're using Tebasa down in uh, Jerez de la Frontera mm. for our casks. There are coopers, uh, they control uh, the wood that's grown up in Galicia and Cantabria, and, and that's a really important partner of, of Highland Park. As you can imagine, uh, back in the day when there was a, a smuggler or a, or a chap like Mike or something around, you know, maybe wood quality wouldn't have been as important. So it's definitely something that for us, as time's gone by, the casks have become more and more important. Sure, sure. And now you've got this new release come out. And yes. this, I suppose, is quite obviously and quite clearly related to this, this Viking heritage. Can you, can you tell me all about that? Definitely, yeah. Well, 
Well, as you know, I mentioned Magnus is obviously his origins are uh, clearly not a Scottish name. When you look at the the heritage from Vikings, if you visit somewhere like Maze Hill on Orkney, which is a must see site, um, an old Neolithic, uh, almost bossy if you like, it's an underground sort of huge, you know, stones that weigh 30 tons have been slid along seaweed to construct this, uh, this tomb. When the Vikings first arrived, they actually knocked through the roof and stayed here to shelter for a couple of days as the weather was so bad. Um, the runes that we've found uh, are absolutely amazing. So there's some of the best runic collections in the world that actually exist on Orkney. And that goes all the way back to around the sort of ninth, uh, late 8th century. That link um, has continued all the way through the history. As I say, it was ruled by the Vikings for longer than it was the, the, sort of the British government. We wanted to tip a hat to that, um, but not only tip a hat to it, really celebrate it um, by releasing a collection called the Valhalla Collection. Um, as you know from social media, and uh, I'm sure you know, you've know you got a bottle, a little one coming down to you, so you can try it as well, is Thor. Um, and Thor is the first of, of the Valhalla Collection. It's I actually, I love American oak-influenced um, whiskies, and, and this one certainly has that beautiful vanilla, slightly bitter orange, almost like a touch of dried coconut coming through sometimes in it as well, with a real peat influence coming through, really accentuated by the wood. I mean, it's exactly the same peat content as we would normally use, but the wood is really bringing that through, um, with a touch of European oak in there as well, just to show the sweeter side of Thor. Thor was a brute, you know, and he was quite often depicted as not maybe being the cleverest guy in the world. Um, so we went for that real fire and brimstone, really quite simple whiskey, but then bringing in that European oak to give that sweeter side, because he wasn't, uh, you know, he did have a thought, and he had an emotional side. I didn't see it very often, yeah. but uh, if you read, you know, read the, the sort of personality of Thor, it does come through fairly regularly. Sadly, I think it's, it's worth pointing out here that we're actually talking of Thor as in Thor... The, a major player in, in mythology as opposed to Thor, a comic book hero, which is how an awful lot of people of the younger generations will, will yeah. be seeing him now. Absolutely, yeah. 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 This is, yeah. This is um, a real gutsy bloke that we're talking about here, isn't it? It's not... This is a, uh, yeah, exactly. This is a real, you know, this is a serious, serious guy. Super strong, super powerful, feared by many, um, but also a protector, um, and a man who, with his huge hammer, could could strike down any animal and take on anything. Um, and that's really what we tried to do. We've made the whiskey in the personality of Thor, which I think is really interesting, uh, rather than, you know, just naming it after him and, and thinking of the whiskey sort of uh, effect. You know, this has really been thought of. Max McFarlane, the, um, our, our whiskey maker, you know, he's pulled together casks that really typify this personality, you know, nice, strong, slightly peatier because of the, the American oak cask that we're using. And then obviously, as I mentioned before, just that sweetness coming through to just to, you know, just to typify Thor's personality. Yes, and we are definitely talking about the, the, the god and not the cartoon character sure. for sure. This is a, yeah. That quite clear. <laughs> but you've also mentioned that uh, this is the, the Valhalla series, Thor's yes. part of it. What what can we look forward to to follow this? Well, that's top secret at the moment. Um, we've actually it's been quite interesting because there's been a lot of people 
talking about this on social media as to what could follow Thor. And um, we can't say too much on that at the moment, unfortunately. Yeah, we have to uh, have to sit tight and hold on and and and, and think of a few things. I would recommend actually reading a few books um, sure. on on the Valhalla and um, sort of out uh, of the gods and and the areas that they lived in as well is very important to um, to the structure of 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 this sort of if you like religion or belief that the Vikings used to have. Um, We'll look into that. Uh, we can't say too much at the moment, unfortunately. Okay. Can you give an indication of, of sort of how big the series might be, or how frequently things will be coming out? Yeah, yeah. Um, we have. We, well, we've told most people um, that the Valhalla collection is Thor is one of four to look forward to, um, and it's very likely that it will be one year. So. Okay. It's a strange question to ask somebody, and, and it's only just jumped into my head, and it's not the sort of question I'd normally ask people about whiskey. Um, I mean, I tend to drink my whiskey out of a, a Glencairn tasting glass. Sometimes I, I feel the urge of a, of a good heavy whiskey tumbler. Sometimes I use something a bit more ceremonial if it's a ceremonial occasion. I just yeah. suddenly got this feeling that a whiskey called Thor, the way you've described it, what would be the perfect vessel do you think to drink that from? For sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a great show. Um, I would I would suggest using using a North vessel. We were out uh, we actually launched for in a, a place called Eifer in Stockholm. Which Eifer was a boat actually that did a, a voyage and it was a, a slightly unsuccessful one. The guys that actually sailed this ship went down to Georgia. And they caught a disease, and unfortunately, they all they all died and perished. Um, Eifler Restaurant is an amazing place. They've got all their old serveware, um, you know, basically replicas of things. And the glassware that they found was a was a metal sort of spiral stem with a, a conical glass that sits inside this metal stem, uh, and it's absolutely brilliant. Um, it's it's very much like a sherry glass. Mm. Um, I would recommend that for Thor, um, purely because you've still got the peat and all that vanilla coming through on the nose, um, and, and you know you wouldn't lose that at all in a glass like that. In fact, that's how we drank it when we were in Sweden. So very interesting. It was very nice. Yeah, that sounds really good. Now, yeah. Do you mind me asking, um, how how did you get involved in this? What what's your background? My background is actually cocktails. I was a bartender um, for about five or six years and I used to do a lot of cocktail competitions. I moved on from that, from running bars and, and sort of running around doing these cocktail competitions to working for Reserve Brands, which is part of the Agile. Um, I worked for them for about four and a half years as an ambassador for all categories. So I worked quite closely with rum, tequila, uh, gin and whiskey, mainly the blends. and. I have moved on from there to join Highland Park. Right, so are you actually now based in Highland Park? Based on Yeah, I'm, I'm well, I'm actually, I'm based in Scotland, um, but I'm going to be working across all the markets right. uh, around the world. So um, I'm going to be doing quite a lot of travelling. Yeah. So how much time I actually spent, I mean, although I've you know, been with them um, sort of two and a half months now, I've been on Orkney for about three of those weeks. So... Yeah. At the moment, it would seem like that, but I'm sure um, as time goes by in the next couple of weeks, I'm, I'm heading off to the States for two weeks on the 12th. I'm out to Japan after that, so you know, I'm not going to be here too often. 
That sounds like a job that's going to have a lot of, of stark contrast to it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, Culturally, it's going to be very good. And, yeah. 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 It's going to be brilliant. I'm actually really interested to see how how people enjoy it in different places. I know in America, people enjoy the stories and the tales. Uh, having spent a week in Sweden just there, um, people are really interested in, in the sort of intricacies of your distillery, timings and sizes and literage and all that sort of stuff. So it's um, yeah, it's very interesting to see the, the different takes on whiskey and how it's appreciated in different parts of the world. I mean, I find it. I find it very interesting, and I think it's it's such a wise move. I would say to to launch a product like this that that links in so strongly with with this sort of a heritage, because you know it has such a, a cultural richness to it, but at the same time is also quite different from anything else that's around at the moment. It's the sort of thing that yeah. other distilleries have done similar things with, but each one has got its own individual character to it. For example, I'm thinking about Ardbeg when they launched Corey Vreckin. That's so yeah. much story with that, but that was linked in with that area. What you're doing actually brings in a whole new you know, Nordic culture to it as well, which I, th I think that's really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it is very interesting. And like you say, I think rich is probably the right word when you've got that much heritage. Um, but it's not just in Orkney that that's appreciated. When we go over to Sweden, Norway and Denmark, the affiliation that they feel with Highland Park is, is actually it's overwhelming. When we, um, we met up with uh, a researcher from the Stockholm Viking Institute, and in her knowledge of Orkney especially, she, she actually focused especially on the Western culture uh, Vikings rather than the Eastern side. Um, and that was hugely focused on what happened on Orkney, you know, around the sort of 12th century. And the affiliation that they have with it is, like I say, is it really sort of makes you take a step back and go, wow, these people really understand this. And it's brilliant when you go somewhere and people really get what you're talking about. Mm. Like I say, when the content's so rich, um, it's, it's a very easy thing to talk about. And it's, uh, it's probably an easier thing to get as well. Now, can I just change the subject slightly? Yeah. I, I don't give awards and things like that on my, my podcast. Um, yeah. I don't think I'm, I'm in the position to do that, to be honest, or qualified in any way to do that. If, however, I was going to do that, I yeah. think one of the awards I would, I would give out for what I consider to be one of the best designed, most beautiful bottles that I've ever come across is the Highland Park 50-year-old. Yeah. How is that going? How's that selling? And what's the reception to that been like? The reception's been brilliant. Um, we, well, we don't have any, which is great news. Um, and as far as as far as how it's gone and, and the reception and, and what people think of it, I think tying up with Maeve Gillis um, was actually a, a really, really good decision. Um, she's an amazing artist. I think, with, like you say, the designers. It's just amazing, it's stunning, but it's it's not to, you know, polish. It really does take you back to to the sea and the the rugged element, but also the rugged beauty of, of what, what Orkney is. Mm. Uh, but she actually did live on Orkney as well um, and, and actually worked there. So for us, it's just it's amazing. You know, she really gets everything behind Highland Park, really understood it. Um, in fact, probably, you know, delivered far 
far better results than we could ever have expected. So, yeah, the 50 row has been brilliant. And again, when you look at not only the design of the packaging, but you've also got to look at the characteristics of the whiskey. Um, I was chatting to Max McFarlane uh, recently about it. You know, what what were the decisions that he made when, you know, looking at the at, at the cask and, and what, what whiskies, you know, why is it so special and what's so unique about it? You know, the complexity of a whiskey is old as that. Um, you know, to have that complexity within a 50-year-old whiskey is, is fantastic. The liquid is as good as the packaging. You know, there's, there's no doubt about that, which is brilliant because quite often you find that one delivers massive results and the other maybe doesn't follow suit. Um, I'm really, really happy with a 50-year-old. Yeah, that's marvellous. Yeah. Well, congratulations with that. Good luck with Thor. I'm certain that that's going to go really well, and I look forward to tasting it, and I look forward to the other um, whiskies that are going to come out in that series. Doug, I have to ask you this question. What about the quantities of Thor? How much of there is it, and where can people get hold of it? What's the distribution like? Brilliant. Um, distribution has, um, well, it's going out as, as far as South Africa, uh, out to the States, up to the Nordics. Um, you know, it's it's gone across the whole world. Uh, Twenty three thousand bottles is what we've released, um, and you'll probably look to pay about one hundred and twenty pounds for a bottle of Thor. Right. Yeah. But this is going to be a not to be repeated whiskey, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if the one hundred and twenty pounds for a top class whiskey with all that heritage and legend behind it, that's that's you can't argue that, can you really? Absolutely not. No, no. <laughs> You've got to be happy with that. Absolutely. In my podcast, I have often mentioned Mark Gillespie's podcast, Whiskey Cast. I've mentioned it, I've referred people to it. I don't often comment on it directly within my own podcast. And I'm actually very careful about that. I will listen to Mark's podcast. And sometimes I will find that he's covered a subject that I was about to cover and there's duplication and I've dropped what I was going to do and done something different instead. He always does it better than I do. And I'm aware that some people who listen to my podcast will listen to his podcast and the other way around. Who wants to listen to the same subject twice in one week? So I take a lead from Mark in many ways. If he says something, I try not to cover that. If he comments on something, I try not to comment on it, so we get more variety. But sometimes there is a bit of an overlap. Sometimes the desire for me to comment gets the better of me, and this is one of those times. In this week's episode of WhiskeyCast, Mark was talking about whiskey investment. Now Mark is a very balanced person. He's a he's a trained, experienced journalist. And that comes over in the way that he presents his podcast. He listens to both sides of the argument. He presents himself in a non-biased way. I'm not that way. I'm not a trained journalist and I have got a perhaps a little bit more freedom in how I do that. I loved the episode. I loved Mark's response to it. I loved his 
input into this whole subject of whiskey investment but it's something i've got strong feelings about as well and i'd just like to make a a, a quick comment about it see i'm not a great fan of whiskey investment and in mark's episode it was interesting to listen to them talk but there was no real mention of flavour of texture of quality even it was more to do with whiskey as a commodity and to me that is a shame now mark made comment of you know whiskey being used as an investment as if it was like art well i believe now that whiskey is art it is a form of art as i discussed in a rather rambly episode i did i think it was just what two weeks ago so i don't make that distinction and there is something about that 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 i want to develop further you see art i also feel shouldn't be too much of an investment as soon as you start looking at are as a commodity as an investment you start to take away some of what its real function its real purpose is people then start looking people then start looking at the art and thinking to themselves about the monetary value rather than the impact the meaning the message the color the texture the form that the emotional experience that it can give you I suppose in some respects I feel that way about this podcast. This podcast that I make is to do with me doing something for my own enjoyment, my own development and sharing that with others. It's not a monetary thing. And yet when I tell people I do a podcast, one of the most frequent questions I get is how much money do I make from it? I don't do it to make money. I don't make money. In fact this podcast costs me a significant amount of money putting it out. That's not what it's to do with. It's to do with other aspects. I think about property here. And the reality that there are people who live in rural areas in small villages who have children who can't afford to live near their parents who have to move into other parts of the country because the area in which they live is just too high property value and yet quite often that property during the week is empty it's left vacant people have bought it for investment purposes or just for occasional use the property isn't being used to its full and that there are others who would love to live there who have reason to live there who are unable to live there and i guess in a way i feel a very similar thing about whiskey whiskey's there for a reason it's there to be enjoyed it's there to be appreciated not as an investment but as a drink as an experience yes it's more than a drink it's so much 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 more than just an investment and yet the moment it starts being seen as an investment 
it somehow takes away from it what it really is. It discredits that aspect of flavour, of experience, and it becomes a shallow and empty commodity. Now that's different between saving a whisky. I have done it many times. I, I, I still to this day have got bottles of whisky at home that I have bought and put aside for special occasions. There's some that I've bought and I've put aside to be passed on to my children for special reasons. But I don't have one bottle of whisky that I have bought purely because I think in 10, 20 years' time I'll be able to make money from it. And I don't for one second think, and I may be wrong here, but I don't believe that there are whisky makers in the Orkneys, in Isla, in Jura, in, in Mull, in any part of mainland Scotland, England, or anywhere else if it comes to that. That is honing their trade, learning that craft, perfecting what it is they do to make that versatile, well-balanced, creative wonder that is whiskey. Just so that it never gets opened, never really gets tasted, doesn't really get appreciated, but that somewhere, someone can make a tidy little profit from it. And that is all. That's not whiskey. Whiskey was born from the common man. It was born from the need to help survive harsh conditions, to help make ends meet. And that, in many ways, is where it belongs. Not just with the common farmer, not just with the farmer, not just with the the home brewer, the home distiller. No, it's there for everybody to enjoy, to appreciate, to marvel at. It's not just a little commodity. Anyway, that's my little rant for today done. Thank you for listening. Um... And I would like to say, if anybody does want to help out with this podcast in the term of funding to help boost up the bandwidth level because more people are listening, um, that would be great. But I will be looking at other ways of overcoming this problem. So I'm hoping at the end of the month, um, everybody who wants to listen can listen. And if for some reason you try to download and it's not there, it's not available, just let me know. Um, I'll do what I can do. But at the end of the month, that bandwidth allowance will get refreshed. So just try to download again a bit later. Um, And thank you for listening. Well, thank you again for listening to this episode of the More to Muse podcast. If you haven't heard them already, there is a back catalogue of other episodes available on iTunes. And if anybody wants to contact me, they can do so. My email address is jim at themaltedmuse.com. There's the website www.themaltedmuse.com. And there's also Twitter, Twitter at themaltedmuse.
So thank you again for listening. I hope you'll listen next week. And until then, thank you and goodbye. Thank you.